You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to the Big Woo Big Board Podcast. I'm Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. And today we are joined by Mark Schofield. Mark writes for uh, Inside the Pylon, The Score. He hosts the Locked On Patriots podcast. Um, we're here to talk about quarterbacks. That's Mark's specialty. Mark was on uh, earlier in the season with us. Uh, during the Giants' bye week, we talked about some quarterbacks. We talked about Eli. We talked about preliminary the quarterbacks we thought might be in the draft and today we're going to talk about the guys we know are in the draft the Giants picking at six uh, should be looking at a quarterback we don't know whether that's going to be something that happens or not but uh, we're going to take a look at some of these guys and Mark's going to help us break them down so Mark thank you for joining us today Dan, Chris, always a blast to be with you, gentlemen. Big day today. We're recording this just as the NFL announced the combine participants. We've got a list of quarterbacks to work through. I don't know if we'll hit all of them, but I think the the highlight was probably the fact that, you know, as we were hitting record, Adam Schefter tweeted it out. Kyler Murray will be attended and participating in the combine. So maybe that makes people excited. I don't know. But as I said, always great to be with you, fine gentlemen. Good to have you here. Yeah. So. Oh, let's let's start there because the one of the people who would be excited about Kyler Murray attending the combine is me. I have had very strong feelings about Kyler Murray uh, over the past couple of weeks that the Giants should draft him. We're not totally sure if they will consider that because of his height. Although I personally don't think five ten is that big of a deal, or five nine and three quarters, or whatever he kind of officially is. So. Oh, let's just dive in with Murray. Mark, what do you see when you look at Murray on film? You know, what's interesting about Murray is you could make the case that from an athleticism, an arm talent, and a, quote, where the NFL is trending, close quote, profile at standpoint, he should be the top quarterback in this class because obviously he has the athleticism, jumps out right off the film. You see the explosiveness, what he brings to the table as an athlete, as a ball carrier. You know, you could see how that is where the NFL is sort of moving quarterbacks. So there's that. There's the raw arm talent. We just got done with a regular season just being wowed at Patrick Mahomes and his ability to make throws from any platform, any base or lack thereof with his feet. (laughs) any arm angle, things like that. And it comes in part from his baseball background. And so you see some of that with Murray. I mean, his best throw, I think, was the touchdown he threw against Alabama where both of his feet were off the ground and he looked more like Derek Jeter deep in the hole um, from behind third base over to first than a quarterback. 
but he's got the un you know uncanny ability to make those all wrist flick type throws deep down the field so that jumps out at you and then there's like the big picture which is we see where the nfl seems to be trending with their quarterbacks maybe going more spread incorporating more college stuff into nfl offenses because look let's face it the three-year window of developing a quarterback that's gone it doesn't exist anymore because the competitive advantage teams can have of getting a quarterback on his rookie deal to play at a semi-competent level that is the biggest competitive advantage you can get because then you can load up around them and look at you know jared goff right now look at how seven of the 12 teams in the playoffs this year had a quarterback on their rookie deal yes the eagles have a bit of an asterisk once was hurt but still you know it's that competitive advantage and so forget developing these guys there's no time you're just wasting those precious years of a qb on his rookie salary so you know because we're going to see more teams running these types of offenses because that's what guys come into the league with the experience and skill set in you know he fits with where the league is going and so those all work into his favor the problem with murray and this is something that you know people were talking about down in mobile at the senior bowl um it's going to be the big story leading into the combine there are some flaws as a passer look you know there are some things that he needs to get better at he needs to be a better anticipatory thrower he needs to do a better job at finding his throwing lanes that was one of the things that made people comfortable with baker was baker did a great job at using his eyes and his feet to create throwing lanes so his height wasn't an issue. Murray isn't as good at that. And so that gets us to the fact that when he gets to Indy, the most important place for him is the scale, period. You know, because, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but if he checks in at 5'10 and say gets himself bulked up a bit to like 200, he's still an outlier in terms of height and weight, but he's in that Russell Wilson range. And so you're, you'd be drafting a guy that, okay, still an outlier, but as Russell Wilson, we're a little bit more comfortable with that. If he comes in at 5'9 and 7'8", like Oklahoma's SID said, and 190, that's me. You know, that's Doug Flutie. Like, that doesn't get you drafted in top 10, even with the way the NFL is trending. And because the height and weight concern goes with his inability at times to find those throwing lanes, it becomes an issue. And let's not forget, General managers and Giants fans, you know this full well, they're risk-averse creatures. You know, they make decisions that are sometimes the safer option. And drafting a guy like Kyler Murray, who's an outlier of the Doug Flutie, Mark Schofield type and not Russell Wilson type, that's a decision that if it doesn't pan out, you get fired. And people don't like to get fired because they've got bills to pay. And we haven't even touched about, you know, the on the big elephant in the room, which is Let's just say, let's say you draft him and he's not ready to play year one. And at the end of year one, he walks into your office and says, Coach, look, I'm going to play baseball because I've got that fallback. Now you've really got some egg on your face. And now you're definitely going to get fired if you miss on that. And so, assuming he is full bore and says the right things at the combine and India, that look, forget it. I'm, I'm done with baseball. I want to give football my shot. There are still issues with him. And when you factor in that potential baseball thing, there are some sort of flags there that general manager is going to shy away from. Of course, it only takes one team. Are the Giants that one team? Is Dave Gettleman that general manager? Friends, <laughs> come on. <laughs> no. So, yeah, I mean, that's my elevator pitch on Kyler Murray. Uh, you can see the talent. And you can see that, look, his game fits with where we see the NFL trended. But are the Giants the team that's going to roll that dice? I'm just not sure Dave Gettleman 
who's already sort of made fun of analytics, as we all well know and remember, is going to be the guy to say, look, we passed on Sam Darnold and we passed on Josh Rose and we passed on Josh Allen to draft Kyler Murray with the sixth pick overall. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I fully believe that to be the case. I don't want it to. I've just, right. over the past couple of weeks, as I've been diving into more of these guys and preparing for this podcast, I just keep thinking of having like Murray in the backfield on an RPO with Saquon Barkley and a backside slant to Odell Beckham and defensive coordinators like trying to figure out who to stop there, which is like impossible. Right. It's it's a it's a schematic nightmarish proposition to think about defending that as opposed to that same setup with a Haskins or a Locke or a Jones or any of the other guys in this class. There's so much you can do from an X's and O's standpoint to stretch a defense sideline to sideline and with his arm talent, yes, line of scrimmage to 50, 60 yards downfield. But again, is that possibility going to be enough to get Gettleman and company to think outside the box here? Even if he came in at that 510, 205 range, would it still be enough? And I'm just not so sure. But from a trait-based perspective, he's probably the quarterback that I think people will get most excited about in this group because let's face it, we could be honest, we're all adults here. It's not the greatest quarterback class. And I say this as the QB guy, the guy that comes to every show every year with his armor on, his sword and his shield to defend the honor of the quarterback class. But this year, it's a tougher task. You know, most years I feel like the mountain or the Bud Light night doing it. Like, I'm the big guy. I know what I'm talking about. You guys are all crazy. These quarterbacks are better than you think. This year, I'm more like me, you know, five, nine, seven, eights and 190 pounds trying to make the case that these guys are good and it's a deep class. But these guys all have some flaws. Right now, you're the Bud Knight, but it's the Game of Thrones commercial. Yeah, it's post the mountain with my head smashed in, and I've just been launched halfway across the jousting yard with a lance through my chest. Like, that's how I feel right now. So, I suppose on that note, we should go to probably the only other consensus round one quarterback, and that's Dwayne Haskins. Also, the consensus pick for the Giants in every single mock draft ever. Yeah, yeah, because and it makes sense because you see Haskins and does he have question marks? Yes, he has a big one for me, which we can talk about. But, you know, you can see some of the upside. You can see some of the look, you know, he fits what Dave Gettleman might look at in terms of a quarterback. You know, he's got, you know, the ability to push the ball down the field at times. You know, he's got the sort of size profile that you would think that would be attractive to more of a throwback type guy. You know, he showed flashes of being able to click and climb the pocket. Penn State game was a good example of that where I had some questions about his ability to handle pressure, but he seemed to get better and seems better when he moves downhill and attacks the pocket rather than trying to get out and escape the back door because he's not the most athletic quarterback. I mean, you know, the athleticism juxtaposition between him and Murray is like night and day. I mean, Haskins is more of a battleship, you know, but you could still be a battleship but move around well in the pocket. Look, you're talking to a Patriots guy. Our guy's a battleship, but he can still show some athleticism at times. You know, with, with Haskins, you also have the question mark, you know, 14 starts or whatever. That's not, you know, a, a bar or anything like that to draft in a guy. Look, we saw Mitchell Trubisky go second overall with 12 starts to his name. You know, the Parcells rules, they're out the window. 
You know, nobody stays in school long enough to hit the magic 24 starts or whatever it is. And so just because the guy has 14 starts, you know, that shouldn't be a negative. In fact, you could look at that as a positive and say there's more upside and more development that we can get from him. And so I think you put it together and is it a situation where he's quarterback one by default or he's, you know, firmly quarterback one? No, maybe that's a semantic argument, but I think you could make the case that he might just be quarterback one by default because there's more upside here and perhaps fewer warts than the rest of the guys. The problem is one of his biggest flaws is that pressure thing. You do see him sometimes struggle with quick interior pressure. And as we just got done watching in Super Bowl 53, you get a young quarterback who struggles facing pressure. It might be a death knell. I mean, if Jared Goff handles pressure just slightly better in that Super Bowl, we're talking about Wade Phillips and the job he did at his game plan going into the Hall of Fame. And maybe we're having the, is Brandon Cooks a Hall of Fame wide receiver debate instead of the, is Julian Edelman a Hall of Fame wide receiver debate? And so, you know, his ability to handle pressure and how he develops that or doesn't is going to be critical to his development. You know, I think I'm not done studying these guys. I think he will probably end up being quarterback one for me. Is it more because of what he is or because of who the other guys are? That sort of remains to be seen. I think one concern I've had from kind of watching him and putting together some of these numbers, and I'm interested in your take on this of whether it's just kind of more scheme related or how he is in general, is uh, he he does kind of rely on the short or intermediate but mostly the shorter routes he he hits a lot of drags and a lot of the crossers i look at some of his numbers per sports info solutions only 45 percent of his passing yards came on air yards that's one of the lowest in this group you look at some other guys like brett rippon was like uh, 63.6 will greer and kyler murray they were in the 52 53 range so i kind of wonder is he maybe over reliant on getting the ball out quickly to some of those shorter routes because i know he does have a good deep ball but is that uh, is that decision making is that how the Ohio State offense just kind of was to it was designed to get some of those playmakers out in space more often yeah I mean I think it's that I think it's more that's sort of the scheme that they were running and the mindset behind that offense was look you guys guys like can fly like Paris Campbell and you know even you know McLaurin the kid that was down at Mobile that looked great down there Terry McLaurin like you get these guys the ball in space get them working on those crossers perhaps in zone coverage you know perhaps in man running away from defenders get the ball out of your hands I think it's more of a scheme thing and remember, you know, when we're studying these guys, you always rule, live by that rule of thumb, scout the traits, not the scheme. And so just because he wasn't asked to throw the deep ball a lot, was it because he couldn't or was it because they just didn't do it a ton? And I think, you know, Haskins is a great example of that in that, you know, they were focused so much on getting the ball out of his hands quickly, you know, to some of these guys in space. And again, look, every NFL team runs mesh. Every run, NFL team right now is running, you know, shallow cross or drive. And so you're going to be throwing a lot of these routes when you get to the NFL, whatever team you're with. You know, the fact that he can execute those is a good thing. The fact that he still has a pretty good deep ball, despite, you know, Ohio State relying more on the shorter and intermediate areas of the passing game, that tells you, that, look, he can do that. You know, but then let's remember that the bulk of throws in today's NFL come 10 yards or less. I mean, I looked up last year using 2017 numbers and, you know, a guy like Jared Goff, 91% of his throws were 10 yards or less. You know, Drew Brees, 90% of his throws were 10 yards or less. Similarly for Alex Smith, his last year with the Chiefs, you know, 90% of his throws 10 yards or less. And so the bulk of the NFL game is played in that area right now. And so Haskins and his ability in the short area, I think, speaks pretty well to what the NFL is doing right now and how he will transition to the NFL game. 
Yeah, so that's interesting, and uh, it's, it's something I've kind of wondered, because I think if we take Goff, and I don't know, I've kind of had a Jared Goff vibe with Dwayne Haskins. I don't know if that makes any sense to me, maybe because I was like watching him right after the Super Bowl, where it was... I've actually heard other people say that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. It's, and I can kind of see that. I mean, I, I think, you know, Goff's athletic profile was a little bit better, but I can see some similarities there. You know, I, I think what was interesting for me, you know, when Goff came out, I felt much better about his pocket presence and ability to handle pressure than I do about him right now. And maybe that's just recency bias with the Super Bowl. But I felt like his ability to sort of slide and move and use his feet to create some space in the pocket was pretty impressive. And that's kind of where Haskins is going to have to go. That's what he's going to have to lean on because let's face it. He's not Kyler Murray. He's not going to, you know, exit out the back door and create or Mahomes or somebody like that. He's going to have to go the maybe golf in college or Rosen or Brady type route, which is you move, you slide, you click and climb and you create space that way. And so I, I think the golf Haskins thing, there's some merit to it. So as I've been kind of diving into these, and I think especially looking at the Giants specifically, I kind of feel like if they are going to take someone, they have to do it at six or possibly earlier. That's another discussion. But I think (laughs) the only real prospects in this class who are going to make any type of difference are Murray and Haskins. And if if they either wait to the second round or possibly even worse, if they try to trade back up into the first round, I personally haven't seen anything from the other quarterbacks in this class to make it feel like that's warranted. So I know we spent kind of the intro talking about that, but do do you feel that's the case also? Yeah, I mean... I do think that in this draft, the first quarterback comes off the board at six. I don't know if it's New York or somebody getting ahead of Jacksonville. And look, there's a big domino that has to fall, and that's Nick Foles. Because if Foles somehow finds his way to Jacksonville before this draft, it might not be until 10. You know, that a quarterback comes off the board because maybe Gettleman decides to pass or trade down, which he typically doesn't do. But maybe this is the year he does it, get some extra draft capital. Or what? So you might see it then at 10, and then maybe it's Drew Locke because everything we've heard is that Denver loves Drew Locke. So, I mean, we could talk about these other two guys that have been sort of rumored to be first-round guys, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones. And, you know, those two guys sort of went into Mobile with the highest expectations around them because, you know, Mel Kuyper started this year with Drew Locke as QB1. People were talking about Daniel Jones having sort of that first-round type vibe around him. I thought Drew Locke handled Mobile about as well as you could expect a quarterback with that set of expectations to handle it. I think he sort of on the on the field sort of lived up to what he is. You know, he's the big arm type guy that, you know, for the you know, two of his years, you know, at Missouri, ran a simplified Baylor style offense, a lot of smokes, a lot of hitches, a lot of goes, a lot of slants, a lot of stuff along the boundary. With a dually, there was more stuff in the middle of the field. You know, that's kind of who he is. He's your more downfield type passer with a nice arm. Off the field, he was great with the media. Everything seems to indicate that he was fantastic in team meetings. And so he sort of helped himself, I think. If you're telling me you're going to take him at 10, I'm still a little or a lot wary about that. If you tell me it's going to come off the board at 25 to 35, that late first, early second, I'm okay with that because quarterbacks get pushed up. He's not going to have a first-round grade for me. Daniel Jones, I thought this week was set up down in Mobile for him to just crush it. 
to just sort of go into this week and just seize it because I didn't really like him on tape, but I thought, look, if you're going to run sort of a West Coast type short passing game, that's when he's at his best. His ball placement in the short area is at its best. Real good understanding of leverage on those shorter throws, ball placement on those shorter throws, leading guys away from coverage. You know, his decision making and processing speed much better on those West Coast type concepts. One of his best throws. I've seen on tape from him was an Ohio concept he ran against Virginia where they trapped the slot route, uh, the outcomer from the slot. So we read it on the fly and threw a rope into the honey hole and that go along the boundary, quick decision making on a quick game concept. I thought this was set up for him to have a fantastic week because he's going to be playing under John Gruden, who we know is like Mr. West Coast. And he was just not good. He just wasn't good. And I'll sum up his week with these three throws his first three throws in that sort of seven on seven portion of wednesday's practice which we didn't get to see because of the weather quick out speed out to the left he misses it by like three yards like he hits mascot basically on the sideline the next one is a check down to his running back again in the left flat where he comes to it way too late in the play after like what seemed like an eternity stares it down pick six third throw Comeback route along the left sideline. Maybe he just can't throw left. Maybe he's Mitchell Trubisky 2.0 in that sense. But he stares down this comeback route. He sees his receiver fall. He double clutches on it and still throws it. And at that point, I was just watching it on film, and I felt like I could have jumped the route at that point to make the interception. And that was his week kind of in a nutshell. Yeah, he was senior bowl MVP, but that doesn't mean anything. Like, everybody's gone. Everybody left Wednesday night. Like, nobody sticks around for Thursday, let alone the game itself. And so – Daniel Jones, I'm I'm out on him as like a first round guy. Like I I don't see it at all. I know the NFL is going to like him. I know he probably ends up somehow finding his way into the first round. But if you're telling me the Giants are going to take him at six or trade back into the first to get him, I think there's a better way you could address the quarterback position than Daniel Jones in the first round. I've been thinking about Jones lately, and say Dan and I our nightmare scenario is basically the Giants trading back in to get ahead of Washington. And drafting Daniel Jones. Before that, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Warm, fuzzy dots they can connect between his relationship with Eli Manning and David Cutcliffe, and he just look. He passes the eye test. Yeah, I mean, he does. You know, he checks some of those boxes, and coincidentally, they might be some of the boxes that Dave Gettleman has at the top of his QB traits list. You know, if you're telling me that you wait till 37 and Daniel Jones is there. Good. That's fantastic. If you're going to draft Daniel Jones at 37, that is fantastic. I think you could probably get a better quarterback at 102 or 126 or maybe even 132 than Daniel Jones at 37. But if that's your guy, then get him at 37. Don't waste more draft capital or you know trade down to 14 where you might have you know the Cody Ford, for example or a Jeremy Simmons or some other position that you might want to address and then pass on that person to get Daniel Jones at say 13. So you get ahead of Washington. Like you could address things a lot better than doing that. So if it's Daniel Jones at 37, I'm overjoyed. If it's Daniel Jones at six or at 14 or 19 or something like that, I think you've wasted an opportunity. Well, I feel better about well, I'd feel worse about what the Giants are going to do. <laughs> right, I feel yeah. better about my personal opinion about Daniel like, Jones. <laughs> like I said before we hit record, guys, I have like three months ahead of me about talking to different shows and different you know, team podcasts or whatever about this quarterback class. And 
I wish I could come with better news. I wish it could be the bearer of good news, but it, it's a shaky quarterback class to begin with. And again, we're dealing with a more old school type guy, you know, at the general manager spot that might have a much different view of this group than we do. And, and so it's a dicey proposition. Let's put it that way. You can say it. he's a dinosaur. You guys said it, not me, but I mean, that's, what, that's where we're going with this. And so that's why, like, look, like, when they get done with their scouting and they sit down and they have their, you know, their positional group reviews and they get to the quarterback spot, is Daniel Jones QB1 in that draft room? It's a possibility. And it's a greater than, I'd say, 10% possibility, which might be enough to make you guys nauseous right now, but that's where we're at. And look, I would love for Daniel Jones to come out and just have a 15-year Pro Bowl, you know, cusp Hall of Fame type career. I would love to see that from him. I just don't see it right now. Dan said he got a Jared Goff kind of vibe looking at Dwayne Haskins. I almost get a Blake Bortles vibe looking at Daniel Jones. They've got that prototypical size. They can run. They've got arm strength, but they don't exactly use it all that well, or at least all that efficiently. Yeah. They get hyped up, but... Yeah, I get more kind of a Blaine Gabbert vibe. I, I, I can see that too. Um, you know, the main thing with Bortles, you say Blake Bortles. I was at the gym. Yes, I actually go to a gym, believe it or not. And I was at the gym the other day talking to like a couple of people that worked there about this quarterback group. These were both Eagles fans that were making the – one was making the case for Foles, the other for Wentz. I had to get out of that conversation quickly. But Blake Bortles came up. And the other two people unprompted gave the windmill throw in motion. Like it's become a joke because we all know it. Like you say Blake Boros and that's where instantly where people go. And so with Jones, you see better passing mechanics, um, better, you know, throw in motion and all that stuff. So, you know, the Boros thing, you know, again, I'm a quarterback guy, so I get caught up in the mechanics. Um, that's why I go more blank Gabbert. But yeah, I can see the Boros thing too, where it's a quarterback that has athleticism, has the size, and you just think, look, if we get the right sort of mitts on him to develop him, he's going to be great. Well, how often does that pan out? How often do these sort of raw, talented, developmental project-type quarterbacks actually pan out in the NFL? I, I'm not sure any have. You know, maybe Mahomes, but he's basically in a college offense. Yeah. And, you know, and, and Mahomes, from where he – I mean, if we were ranking these guys, you know, if it were – this Mahomes was in his draft class. I mean, he's QB one hands down, like no question. I mean, he was QB two for me that year. And it was only because I loved Deshaun Watson that I didn't have Mahomes one. I think a lot of people looked at what Mahomes was doing and thought this will never work in the NFL, but it was kind of the wrong question to ask. I mean, it was the, the question people should have been asking was, you know, what can he do, you know, and what he can do from an arm talent profile and an athleticism profile was kind of off the charts, but people just assumed that, the mistakes he was going to make, you know, even the people that liked him, like me, I assumed he was going to throw a lot more picks this year, but Andy Reid was the absolute perfect coach for him. If he gets drafted by, I don't know, let's just throw Jeff Fisher's name out there. Patrick Mahomes is not having the Patrick Mahomes type season that we just saw, you know, because we saw what, you know, Jeff Fisher did with Jared Goff. And and so, you know, the landing spot and the coaching fit, they, they all matter so much. And that's the other th- aspect of this that often goes overlooked is, you got to get that aspect of it right too. And you got to have the coach that's going to put these guys in a position to be successful. Because again, 
if we're throwing that developmental curve out the window and you're drafting this guy, you want to maximize that rookie contract, you got to get him to be competent and effective early. And so are you going to have a coach that's going to be willing to, okay, I've been running this playbook for 10, 12, 13 years. I'm going to rip it up and ask Dwayne Haskins what he wants to do because we got to make sure Dwayne Haskins is effective, is competent enough given the weapons we already have around him and which you would probably add you know, even more around him to maximize that window. And so, yeah, the other things that we can get into that all get factored into this and how it plays out on the field. Yeah, part of that, I think, is what some people are using now to use as kind of justification of the Giants not picking a quarterback again, that there's not enough on this roster or there should continue to build this roster to put in place, you know, just a a better structure around a quarterback when a rookie does get there so they can take advantage of that. And I mean, I guess there's there's some merit to that, and it's guess it makes a little more sense when you look at the quarterbacks in this class who aren't great. But when you think of you know Dave Gettleman and the plan, that's I mean this is basically like the Sashi Brown plan in Cleveland, but without all of the pieces that actually made them better in the future, like creating a whole bunch of cap space and right. all the added future picks. So you can continue to say that, but if if you're passing now on a quarterback, it feels like, and then you're on Saquon Barkley's third year of his rookie deal, then you have to start paying him. Then you're on year three of Odell Beckham's extension, uh, and you're, that's also not using that roster very well the giants are in such a fascinating position and just as somebody that follows this game i am so curious to see how they decide to handle it because you could make the case that look let's trade back none of these quarterbacks are good if we passed on Darnold, we're not going to like you know swing our you know take our shot with a, a haskins or a murray or somebody like that we'll accumulate some picks we'll address some other needs we'll make one last run with some assembled stuff around eli and you can see them doing that and perhaps being successful, sneaking into the playoffs. Who knows? Maybe Wentz gets hurt. Eagles are down. Dak has a bad year. You know, who knows what's happening in Washington? You could envision a scenario where the Giants do that and somehow win the division. Then what? Are you now sitting there at like 22, 23 in next year's draft? 25 26 in next year's draft in a quarterback class that people assume right now and again development not linear but we assume that's going to be a better group but what's it going to take to go up and get a Tua or Herbert or Fromm or Eason or any of Fields or any of these guys that we expect are going to be better in next year's class it's going to be a tougher thing to do and so that's the cost benefit analysis they're going to have to do do we sit there at six and take a guy that we might not like because it makes sense more long-term and at least get him into the system and start that developmental process? Or do we kick this down the road, make one last run with Eli, knowing that if it pans out the way it might, and we kind of hope it would in that situation, we might then be on the outside looking in at next year's class and then what? And so they're just sort of in a, I don't want to say it's a bad spot, but it's a tough decision because you could make a case for either one, and you can see the flaws with both arguments as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it's a bad spot. They're they're in a bad yeah. spot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great. Like, had some better guys come out or had this draft class shaped up better and you're sitting there at six and you felt much more comfortable with one of these guys, then you're kind of sitting pretty. 
you know, because then if you loved Haskins or maybe if Herbert come out and he was your guy, you could say, look, we sit there, we take our guy now. Okay. So all the criticism that we heard from drafting, you know, Barkley last year at two, we, it, the plan still worked. We got our guy. He's in the system. We can maximize the deals we got with Barkley, our rookie quarterback, the Odell extension, and it's going to be fine. But it just, it didn't live up to that sort of situation. And now like you guys kind of saying, I think we're kind of, you know, dancing around a bit. It's, it's a bad spot. Yeah. I, and it's kind of a spot of their own making. Yeah. As great as Saquon Barkley is. And I don't think anyone can deny that he is great. Yeah. But, and, you know, the Barkley thing gets us into the sort of the realm of do running backs matter, right? And that's a debate for another time. And I'm <laughs> certainly not in that camp that running backs don't matter. You know, but I, I think – you know, and it's it's easy to say things like, "Oh, well, they could have drafted, you know, Rosen at two and gotten Philip Lindsay in the seventh round because he didn't even get drafted." Well, yeah, you can make cases like that, but the running back position you can influence it by other things, and you know, the people that sort of lead that, you know, that cause of running backs don't matter. They point to how Sean McVay schemed light boxes for Todd Gurley, and so many of Todd Gurley's like yardage and came before contact. You know, because they're running outside zone against six man boxes and with that offensive line, like you can do things with a fourth, fifth round draft pick or an undrafted free agent or somebody off the street like CJ Anderson and be successful. Whereas you got to get the quarterback position right. Otherwise, you're in quarterback purgatory. And so the value of Saquon Barkley, as great as he is, as talented as he is, and Sky might be the limit for that kid. We might be talking about him in the Hall of Fame sooner rather than later. Was it worth it at two? And maybe, maybe not. I would just like to point out to you, all of the listeners right now, that is not just me who says these things. <laughs> that, again, you, you will still get the angry emails, though. Dan. I will. And I will probably get some angry tweets, too. And Saquon Barkley is an immensely talented player. Look, when I went to Penn State to watch him against Indiana, it was one of those moments where it was like I wrote a piece, a gamer about that game, where it was like going to see Ovechkin play hockey or going to see Jordan play or Bird or whomever, like the greats, because every time he touched the ball, the air just went out of that stadium. Everybody collectively held their breath. And it started on the opening kickoff when he housed it. And you're just like, this This kid is different. This kid is special. And he had a ridiculous, like, Odell-esque type catch and run on a screen where it was a throw well over his head from Trace McSorley, who's a fun discussion for another time. <laughs> and you just, you, you just knew that you were seeing somebody special. And I wrote an absolutely glowing gamer about him. You know, even though he just had the two big plays, it was like, look, everybody knew when he gets the ball near him, something special could possibly happen. And that's the type of football player and running back and athlete that he is. But is is that the justification? Is that enough justification to perhaps get yourself out of the quarterback pick cycle when we can all see that, look, when it comes down to it, good quarterback play can be the difference between winning and losing a Super Bowl. We just saw that. Tom Brady was not good in that game but he had the one big drive that they needed. Jared Goff just needed to put together one good drive of his own, and he missed Brandon Cooks in the end zone because he was slow with his read, and he couldn't handle pressure, and he underthrew Brandon Cooks again, and it was picked. Like You need to get that position figured out. Maybe the plan was, look, we'll get it figured out at the 2019 class. Now you might have to think you're going to have to get it figured out in the 2020 class. So 
the position does matter. It's a position, you know, how are you going to weight these positions? Positional value. And as great as Saquon Barkley is, the quarterback just matters more. It's a passing league. It's a quarterback-driven league. But obviously the answer is to train Saquon to play quarterback. There you go. Look, the, the NFL seems to be zigging towards Big 12 offenses. Maybe you guys are going to zag towards let's run the wing tee. Okay, we're back to wing T. We're gonna put Saquon under center. We'll draft another running back. We'll just go flex bone style, whatever. Hey, defenses won't be ready for it. You can say that. That absolutely true. There you go. Maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe maybe Gettleman's going serious old school and thinking, yeah, we're gonna bring back you know the four horsemen of the apocalypse like Notre Dame did. He's gonna install the offense he ran in Poughkeepsie. There you go. There you go. Little high school action. Why don't we touch on a couple of uh, lottery ticket? guys quick and then we can just kind of be on our way all right let's go through some of the senior bowl guys first um you know i I thought and i would i wrote this going into the week at big blue view that if you could place a bet on a quarterback to rise coming out of mobile put your money on jared stidham you know because you get him out of that auburn offense get him to kyle shanahan's offense you get him in seven on sevens and stuff and he's gonna look great and he did you know, it was funny about Stidham was I was talking to him after the final practice wrapped up and I asked him his favorite route concept to throw this week and he just laughed and he basically looked at me and said all of them. And that was one of those. Yeah, I get it. That Auburn offense. You didn't like it. I, I see where you're going, man. Um, now, does he rise to a day two tap guy? I'm, he had a great week, but I don't think it erases what we saw in two years of film from him. But there are some nice things with him. Gardner Minshew. I love this kid. You know, when, when he looked me dead in the eye and basically made fun of the quote unquote pro style college offenses that other teams are running and literally used air quotes. I, I get it, buddy. You know, I'm with you on that one. Air raid, Mike Leach stuff. We all love the wheel route. You're running four or five progression reads. You know, his footwork on those is great, but he's got some limitations as a passer. We saw them during the week of practice. We saw them in the game itself. When, if you get outside of the quick game type stuff, is the arm talent enough to be sufficient in the national football league? And so he's, yeah, a lottery ticket type guy. You know, he's somebody that, you know, if you don't address quarterback, but then it gets to be, you know, you're on the clock at say 126 or 132, you know, in the fourth or fifth round respectively, or 133 in the fifth, and you, you want to take a flyer on him. Sure. I'd be all for that. Ryan Fidley, you know, he's one of those guys that is not going to get anybody excited, but, has I think a stable enough floor um, that you know he's going to ha- he's go- he might be the guy out of this class more than any other that you know ten years from now he's still kicking around a la Colt McCoy where he's got that nice lawn you know niche career as a long term backup spot starter that can get you a game or two if you need him I don't think he's going to become you know a starting type quarterback in the NFL but I think there's a decent enough floor with him you know there, there's three guys that were at the shrine game that I think will get some more attention as we sort of get into this process. First is Easton stick. He's gotten a lot of buzz. Personally, I don't see it. You know, I was literally studying some of his stuff before we got here on this show today and I don't see it. And he's kind of my prototypical quarterback. Like I look at him as like Logan Woodside and I liked what Logan Woodside last year, you know, as like a day three guy, I'm not even so sure I could, you know, put him on that pedestal right now, that same plan. There are people that do like him, but I think he's too slow with his decisions. I think even in some of the basic route concepts, your mirrored curl flats, 
it just wasn't there. His game against Northern Iowa, yeah, he threw two nice balls for touchdowns on four verts, you know, but that's one route concept. I didn't see a lot of diversity there. So, you know, he'll hear his name called, but I'm not going to go as far as others and basically say, look, you're getting another Wentz. I wouldn't go that far at all. Um, Jordan Tamu, the kid from Mississippi. Now, I'm not done studying him, but I love what he does in the deep game. Great bucket passer. His game against Southern Illinois was like video game stuff. Another simplified offense. Look, they were running 595, 585, 966, 866, like a bunch of basic air Coriel type route concepts. And it worked against Southern Illinois. I have yet to study his games against LSU and Alabama. I've seen some of them live. Um, wasn't great. Um, so there's a limited route tree, limited schematic background to him. But if you're running a vertical offense, you can do some stuff in that portion of the game, downfield throw. So I think he's a guy on that day three range you might like. And then we get to the guy that literally, if gentlemen, if I had any guts at all, I would just plant my flag and say, I don't care about anybody else we've talked about. Brett Rippon is QB1, and I will just die on that hill. If I had any guts to me, I would do that. And I still might. I've slowly been talking myself into this idea because out of all the guys we've talked about, like, I think he fits the mold of an NFL quarterback more than any of these guys. You know, if you want to go by the Parcells rules, if you want to do that old school way, and maybe the guy we've kind of been talking about a lot on this show does, he checks all seven of them. You know, you look at Brett Rippon and even his worst game this this year against San Diego State, he had one of my favorite plays of any of these quarterbacks because he sees the blitz coming pre-snap. He adjusts the protection. He slides the protection towards the blitz. It doesn't get picked up anyway. His guys whiff on it, so he still gets drilled. But he delivers on an out route past the sticks on third and 10 with a guy lighting him up for a first down. And those are the kinds of throws that you have to make in the NFL to live as a passer, to extend drives, to finish drives, to win games. And so is he like a flashy guy? No. Does the NFL like him? They invited him to the combine, but they didn't like him enough to get him a senior bowl invite ahead of guys like Trace McSorley. And so maybe I'm just not on the same wavelength here with the NFL because I think he's an NFL quarterback. For whatever reason, the NFL doesn't seem to like him as much. And I talked to people with the senior bowl, some of their scouts, Jim Nagy, all those people. And it's just, look, you know, we got feedback. The NFL wanted to see Trace McSorley. So, Okay. But if you're telling me that Brett Rippon is there at 102, or Brett Rippon is there at 126, and you're not going to take him, I think that's kind of crazy because I look at him and I think out of all of these guys, if you're going to tell me, look, place a bet on who's going to be still in the league and a starting quarterback out of this class in five years, I'm going to tell you, I think it's Brett Rippon. And so maybe I'm slowly talking myself into Brett Rippon QB1, but – He's the guy I like out of this group, I think, especially when you consider that he'll probably still be there when we're talking fourth, fifth, and given how the NFL might feel about him, sixth round. I, Or maybe he's just my Logan Woodside of <laughs> class. That could be it too, but I, I keep coming back to this kid. Yeah, I don't hate that. Every time I think about the draft past the second round because the Giants have already used their third round pick, if they can't get Haskins at six, I would be absolutely fine with them taking Britt Ripien or – Tamu, who he's caught my eye too. Yeah. I've watched him a little bit with, uh, I've actually watched that Alabama game twice. Once for uh, DK Metcalf, and which I fear is about a, in about a month, he'll be the next Julio Jones. Right. He's going to destroy the combine. And 
also uh, Greg Little. Yeah. I, I haven't sat down and watched Tamu himself yet. I was kind of hoping you had, but he intrigues me. And yeah. like you say, Ripien is, he seems like the guy you would pick for a late round pick that, you know, you might just have something there. Yeah. And, you know, if you're, if the Giants are now into that realm where you've passed on the big name guys, you have basically then gone gone all in on the fact that look we're ratted or died and with, with Eli here in 2019, so why not then take a flyer on a guy that's that quote unquote developmental guy because you know you're going to get a year of him working in your system and then look if for whatever reason the Giants they do pass on these quarterbacks they make one last run with Eli and you guys end up winning the division or going nine and seven or whatever and now you're on the outside looking in with next year's class you've then got at least the two guys in Lawletta and Rippin who have been in your system for one or two years you know between them you know Lawletta for two and Rippin with one that you can at least then make the case that if we miss out on the 2020 class we've got two guys that have been in our system that know this playbook now that have that knowledge base behind them where one of these guys we can probably be confident enough that if they wrestle this job away from Eli Manning they can run our offense and and so you can see that route potentially happen for the Giants again you guys are in a weird spot but if you come out of Brett Whippen I'm going to be insanely jealous let's put it that way I think a lot of this quarterback conversation that we're having right now it it comes from Eli how much you think Eli has left I've been on the record to say that it's probably not much but if you're skipping the quarterback class this year or even if you take one this year you're either you know you're trying to figure out how many more games of Eli you do have you it could be anywhere between like four and like potentially like 32 which is kind of insane to think about yeah I mean and I think if you end up sort of in that we're riding with Eli, you know, it, it's you're hoping it's more the like 16 tops because I don't know if you're getting two more seasons out of him. Like that's tough to think about. And there were moments, yes, where Eli looked like, okay, you could make another run with him. Now they came in games like the one against Tampa Bay where the Bucks made everybody look like, you know, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you, you literally look at their passer numbers against and it's like you could put – that next to Patrick Mahomes and they're eerily similar. And so, yeah, he looked great in that game and looked great in some of the other games, but like, you know, you would have to have really built up around Tim, but that might have to be the play given how we feel and how we think the front office feels about this quarterback group. And so again, then you're thinking that, you know, maybe, or maybe they're just in love with a lot and they don't even draft a quarterback because they're like, look, this is our guy. Maybe that's the case. Who knows? But yeah, if you end up riding with Eli for 2019, you're hoping it's just, this is it. And then we got to move on in 2020, whether it's one of those guys, whether it's Lawletta, some of the drafted this year, who knows? All right. So I, I think on that super enlightening super and optimistic note, note <laughs> I think we can we can end it there. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, we'll, we'll probably have you on uh, one more time probably between the combine and and the draft uh, as we as we really figure out what these guys look like and we get just more time to study them we'll have maybe a absolutely 100% answer from Kyler Murray of whether he's playing football or not please have that be 100% right. <laughs> uh, but uh, thank you so much for for joining us we uh, really appreciate you taking the time 
Thanks so much, gentlemen. Always a blast to be with you. Um, hopefully, you guys get this QB thing figured out because, look, you guys can make a nice little run if you do. Um, going to be a blast to see how they handle it either way. All right, great. Thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you again next week. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.